Episode number 10 with playwright Terrell Alvin McCraney. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with Academy Award winner, playwright, actor, and co-writer of the 2016 film Moonlight, Terrell Alvin McCraney. Born and raised in Liberty City, Miami, into a neighborhood that, despite the veneer of poverty, was brimming with artists and athletes, Terrell found his artistic path in high school at the New World School of the Arts, later receiving his Bachelor's of Fine Arts from DePaul University and his Master's from the Yale School of Drama. Growing up with a constant feeling that change was imminent, Terrell found a way to take hold of that narrative and rewrite it, a skill he likens more as a survival instinct rather than just a calling. However, after the passing of his mother in 2003, Terrell began writing the first draft of In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, which later became the source material for the Oscar-winning movie Moonlight with director Barry Jenkins. He describes it as an effort of piecing together the scrapes of memories that he had about who he was, who his mother thought he was, and who he could become. In January of 2019, his Tony and Drama Desk award-winning play Choir Boy debuted on Broadway, and later that year he made his television debut as writer and executive producer of the critically acclaimed series David Makes Man on Oprah's own network. In 2020, it won the prestigious Peabody Award, a first for the network. And lest he stop to catch his breath, Terrell also serves as the chair of the playwriting department at the Yale School of Trauma. During our conversation, we discuss his internal journey towards his dreams and desires, the power of the spoken word, the way spirit informs the diaspora, and the concept of the healing power of being wounded. Recorded during quarantine, this revealing conversation will cause you to reflect on your own life and decide whether you're living freely or living chained to survival mode. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a delicious five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. One of our latest is from Studio Tolan, titled Dario Makes Me Proud. Thank you. Dario and the Institute of Black Imagination are my new favorite podcast. The conversations, gems of insights, and knowledge sharing are terrific. I love it in an Oprah voice. I love you all so much, and it is with great pleasure I introduce Terrell Alvin McCraney to the IBI podcast. Terrell, thank you so much. Uh, for being on the Institute of Black Imagination. It's uh, a pleasure to, to chat with you. Um, but let's hop right in. Um, I just wanted to start, like, what's your superhero origin story? Like, how did Terrell become the Terrell we know today? Um, a lot of what I will say, you know, I don't know that it's a superhero, almost a uh, uh, hero story. I think, you know, I... I, I um, like a lot of um, young people in Miami, grew up in a mostly black neighborhood um, in a place called Liberty City, um, which has a deep, rich uh, history of artists and athletes. Um, 
but also of poverty and um, uh, you know oppression. And I think you know a lot of the time that I was there, I I spent you know listening to the ways in which stories were told about the past, and also watching as you know as uh, as changed ha happened there quickly. Not necessarily in the in the streets or in the you know the access, but as young people, um, it seemed like every five years there was something you know unique and different about what um, was interesting to people, to the to young people, to people my age, to people a little older, to people who are younger than me. Um, and so I grew up in a constant state of um, fe feeling like change was imminent always. Um, and that can feel kind of chaotic to a young person. Um, and, um, and so my, you know, my, my need to kind of, to find a way to count or uh, control that was telling stories um, and and finding a way to sort of um, look at narratives and be able to see what they might be, but also um, looking at the past and seeing how they were being repeated, looking for patterns, which I think you know most people will tell you is just the sign of um, you know any any person who wants some sort of control or, or is, is looking for some sort of order out of the chaos that life can be, um, we begin to count, um, we begin to um, try to put things in order, try to look for patterns. Um, and I realize that, I, I realize now, it's actually something I'm, I'm realizing even, even as we speak, um, that that, um, that was a survival uh, mechanism, um, a survival ta tactic, more than you know, just a calling. Um, it was something that helped me understand my place or a place, not necessarily specifically to me, but a place in society, um, and in the war and in the community that I grew up in. Um, but yeah, and then I, I, I just figured that if I continued to do it, if I continued to lean into it. Um, you know, that may, if there was a way to make a life out of it, um, I would do that. And, you know, up until recently, I would say that I, I realized that um, I've gotten to a place that I can actually live a life rather than just survive one. Um, but it took, it took a long time for me to believe that. And I, I don't know that I even believe it now. Um, you know, Cardi B said something the other day that, that, um, while she's wildly entertaining and um, definitely funny, she she said something that I think is true for a lot of people who you know use um, their imagination and and their skills at whatever they have to better themselves and their family is that she's sort of had this you know immense fear around one day not being able to support oneself again or having to get to a place where um, the necessities weren't being met. Um, and you would be surprised that people think, well, you can't, you know, that there's such a huge gulf between that. But when you grow up knowing that, 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 that shift, that change is, is ever present, um, and, it, and can, and can fall one way or another to any of us, it sort of is something that you can begin trying to survive rather than to live out of. So, I mean, that, 
that certainly had a lot to do with uh, the first, you know, portion of my life. And I think, um, I think I've now gotten to a place where I, I, I'm starting a new chapter where I'm trying to, um, to live and be as free as possible rather than be chained to survival mode. And you, you started out, or at least you got your undergraduate degree in acting, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, then, so I went to high school. I went to high school for performing arts at a place called New World School of the Arts. And I went there as an actor. Um, and I worked there for four, I was there at school for four years, but I was also working with a company called uh, Teo Castellanos D Projects. Um, and so and so while in school uh, for, you know, six hours a day, I was doing theater. And then I would go to my job for four hours, five hours a day and do uh, street theater and political activist theater. Um, and and then when I graduated, I continued to work with Teo and his company up until I was about 22. I still I still work with him. Um, but when I when I graduated from high school, I went to DePaul University. Uh, they have a program uh, that was founded as the Goodman School of Drama in Chicago. And I was there for four years as an actor. Um, but because I was doing activist theater, I was also writing at the same time in high school. And so, you know, I wrote plays in high school and I um, took playwriting courses as well. And I also, um, I also went into undergrad knowing that playwriting was something that I was doing. So I was doing that at the same time. And then I went to Yale for playwriting to the Yale School of Drama for playwriting pretty quickly after leaving um, DePaul. I took a year off, my mother died hmm. um, in 2003, which was the year I graduated. A month after I graduated, she passed away. <clears throat> she had been struggling for about 10 years uh, with AIDS related complications and, um, and she finally passed away uh, that July. And then I went actually, The twenty, the twenty first, and and today is the twenty second. So, oh, wow, wow. So the and the um, yeah, um, the I took a year off from everything then, um, and I wrote. That's when I wrote the first draft of In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, and a play called um, that would become soon to become called uh, The Brother Size, which um, I used to, I used those as my application to get into the Yale School of Drama and then the next year, sub subsequently went there. Um, and then I graduated from Yale in 2007 um, and went to London for about three years um, at the Royal, with the Royal Shakespeare Company as their international writer in residence, three or four years. Um, and then um, came back. And got to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was still doing, I was doing productions during that time. I had production, I mean, I was doing, I was working and writing plays and I did a trilogy of plays at the public and at the McCarter Theater in New Jersey. Um, quiet, we did, you know, I wrote Quiet Boy in 2009. Um, the Brother Sister Plays happened at Steppenwolf in 2010. Um, and I became a member in 2010, 2010 2011. Um, uh, 
you know, doing those plays also in, in the UK. And also, you know, I met, I think I met Barry around 2013 um, for the first time. I'd heard about him for a while, but I, 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 I sort of met him fully. Um, and, uh, or no, 2012. And, um, you know, um, yeah, life was, was wildly different and, um, and amazing. And, um, but at the same time, I, I knew I kept running, trying to run this race of trying to do everything so I could survive, um, thinking that, you know, at some point, something was coming, something was coming, changing, and I wouldn't be ready for it. Um, what, what was that? internal process that was happening as you know this journey from liberty city you know to to paul to yale as as your dreams and desires started to manifest what was that internal journey like that dissonance between you know who you were internally versus what was happening externally well i mean i think that's the thing is that i that i mean people were always like oh these are other folks felt like these things that were happening were amazing. Um, and I, of course, anytime I was allowed to work and do good work and, and, and build community, I certainly was happy to be doing it, but they weren't necessarily, I, I'd never sat down and, and sort of wrote down that these dreams were the ones that I was, I was going to be achieving. You know, it wasn't, I went to Yale because I knew it was a pro had a good program and, um, that August Wilson plays were being done there. And, you know, I would I would learn or get exposure on how to write plays better, but it wasn't like I sat down one day and was like, my dream is to be at this place. Um, and, and that could, and if you go through the litany of things that I think other folks sort of are thrilled about, um, I, I'm very, again, I'm grateful and humble and excited about those things, especially when they happen, but they weren't sort of written down on a list of, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sitting in, you know, that apartment in Chicago, that basement in Chicago, um, uh, mourning my mother writing down in moonlight, thinking that I was creating, you know, an Oscar award-winning piece. Um, I was trying to write out all the scraps of memory that I thought I had about who I was and who she thought I was and, 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 and how I had come to this point in my life. Um, and who I could be. And so internally, again, I was always just trying to stay ahead of the narrative, right? Which is, again, that's why I said, talk so much about how uh, it was to grow up in Liberty City, because I think you, you can imagine what you, if you look around and see change happening all the time and you can't imagine yourself in it, you then begin to write in your, you begin to write yourself into stories. Um, like you said, you you grew up in the suburbs of uh, St. Louis and couldn't see yourself. When a, when you grow up in a place where you should be able to see yourself but don't, um, or see the possibility of yourself being extinguished in, in certain ways, you sort of begin to either um, acquiesce to that that feeling or you begin to write against it or you begin to narrate against it, create against it. So for a long time, a lot of the things, even being at the Royal Shakespeare Company, you know, I, I remember when some, when they asked me to do it, I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. And it had more to do with me going, cool, I'll go there, I'll learn more, and I'll get better at doing what I do. Um, it had less about, you know, 
on the other side when people were like, you were at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I was like, yeah, the, you can see the kind of prestige in other people's face. Um, and I was like, well, it was, you know, hard work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was hard work <laughs> and, 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 and learning that I, needed to, that I needed to do in order to get to another place. So I've spent a lot of time doing that and not really sort of looking around. And I, I remember um, uh, there was an actor, a very famous actor, who uh, uh, was greeted, greeted, greeted me at the, after the Academy Awards. And um, something about the way he was saying, like, you know, do you, aren't you glad that you kind of like, aren't, don't you feel the privilege of being here or something like that? And I was kind of mm. like, uh, sure. Right. Like I, I I'm grateful, <laughs> absolutely grateful to, um, to be here. Um, and at the same time, I know that there's a series of luck. Um, there's a series of blessings. There's a series of opportunities. Um, that I can, I have to count all joy that got me here. And I, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that, I don't know that I wanted to lean into feeling like I had been privileged to a place. Like, I don't think, I, I don't, I don't think myself privileged to have done those things. I think myself blessed to have done those things and that they are a part of, you know, a part of me and who I am. Um, but they allow me a space to really still, um, know that you know there are others who who too need opportunities and 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 uh, if I can be helpful in, in allowing them to have those um, and also to help folks you know learn quicker than I did about the need to survive rather than living right and, and know that it's hard to start to train out this this um, desperate need to feel like you're in survival mode um, it's such a capitalistic um, endeavor, you know, it's such a, it's such a thing that makes us think that we have to do everything at all costs to be two times as good or three times as good and work twice as hard and, um, do everything at all costs. Um, but yeah, I think, I think internally a clock was on and, and I've been slowly trying to turn it off. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, wow. Um, I want to circle back to like the transition to playwriting and I shouldn't maybe say transition, but just speaking about the power of the word and the power of text. Um, you know, when I've heard you speak before, there is almost a spellbinding way in which you use language. Could you speak a bit about the power of text? and the power of the of the spoken word sure um i can try i think you know we all words are words are are actually powerfully limiting um in that we are often grasping throwing you know pulling at shaking up you know vocal sounds to to form shape um, sometimes the unimaginable, um, the un, unquantifiable, the unpalatable unpal um, things that are ephemeral uh, feelings, right? Emotions, um, 
there, it, you know, and there is, there are limits to what, because we're human beings, there are limits to what we can physically form in our, with our, you know, with our language and with our speech and even down on paper. And so oftentimes I, I am trying to, to the best of my ability, aim, you know, as much integrity and even sometimes um, spirit at, at, at what I'm after, because I know that there are ways, I know that there are ways that the words won't actually make or portray what I'm feeling or what a person's feeling or what a character's feeling or what, um, or, or, or what they're trying, what they had to endure. But you, you sometimes just have to put it together as best you can and allow for folks to get inside of it. And it's one of those ways that music is more precise and mm. uh, scientific in this way, right? Because in the notes, we all know that the music isn't made note. You know, you take those notes and you separate them out. They're not a song, right? But it's together and in the interconnection of them and in between them is the music, right? Um, and so that's what words can do. I've, you know, you, you, you will see roughly drawn words put together at a certain rate and speed and all of a sudden the music and the spirit between it start to vibrate in a different way. Um, you can have the same speech read um, at, a, at, a, at a slower pace and then something else starts to happen. And I think that's, you, you were always after, we're always, I mean, just like um, a sculptor uh, with, an, with a chisel and a painter with a brush, we're always with, with words trying to aim at the angel in the marble or the, or, or the flower on the canvas. And I think um, that's all we can do. And we have to forgive ourselves when we, when we fail. Um, I love that. Um, ooh, I mean, that was so rich. There's like 14 questions I have. Um, first, I wanna circle back to this idea of spirit. Um, I know you've spoken before, um, particular, particularly at your talk at the Schomburg about the spirit. Um, this car alarm is wearing me out, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm in the South Bronx. Um, but this idea of the spirit and the ways in which the spirit informs the, dias that the diaspora um, you know, my father is actually a, a pastor, a minister. So I grew up in the church, up up and through the church. And you have several phrases in not only your writing, but even just now you're like counted all joy, right? There are these phrases that we have in, in our culture. Um, what role do you think the spirit has in the diaspora and, and, uh, and identifying and, and marking that specific experience? I mean, I think we, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know is the answer. Um, but sometimes that answer is, is, so, is so powerful for me because like, again, we spend a lot of time, um, you know, people say, write what you know, talk what you know, right? Talk what you know, uh, don't, don't write what you know, only, only, you know, make stories out of what you know, right? But God is the unknown. God, God is that uh, 
peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, God is looking to the hills for, uh, for which we draw strength. Um, spirit is, uh, you know, that which we know but cannot imagine fully or cannot, you know, render. Um, and in aiming at that, which I think, you know, look, Black people have for millennia um, forged their communities with a cultural sensitivity towards this space for spiritual practice and spiritual acknowledgement, right? Um, we, we, we have, in, in almost every aspect of the diaspora, you see where the social, political, and even the personal still are integrated deeply with um, ways in which people need to be connected to the spiritual, however that manifests. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, uh, in the ordinary, in the quotidian, and sometimes it's in the, you know, again, uh, unseeable and unknowable. And I think a lot of times, um, because we are becoming so, because capitalism is the, the spiritual uh, zeitgeist or, or the spiritual um, animus of, um, of the United States, it interferes with a real look at um, the spirituality, which is, you know, spirituality and the understanding and investigation of that, which is free, right? It's absolutely free. You can't, you kind of, you can try to put uh, restraints around it, but if, you know, there's a, there is a longing to connect to a spiritual guidance and investigation in, in every society um, and in every people, and particularly in Black people. Um, and it's the reason why, even though there, you know, I, I have many friends, uh, brothers and sisters, um, family members who are not, uh, who don't believe in the church, but, um, engage with um, the kind of spiritual handing down of things like spirituals and um, you know even ring shouts right there's something in the handing down of the spiritual investigation that still proves um, useful and so I think you know there's only so much we can we can do um, with the known until we have to admit that there are things greater than us that we do not know. Um, and we have to make room for their investigation and interrogation of us. Um, and it's deeply humbling, so humbling, because there are times I'm like, oh, this person, you know, they, they don't like what I do or they're being, you know, uh, cut off with, and cut off from me or I'm, you know, too busy looking at somebody else to try to fix. And then I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. They know as about as much as I know about what the unknown, right? And if I spend and if I spend my time trying to figure out this person who is flawed as I am, then what am I doing? I might be wasting time because there's so I, I can be doing the incremental walk towards the unknown, which is which takes way more energy and more practice, um, and is more fulfilling, you know. The, the, the increments that we get closer to, to the, and again, not necessarily knowing, but getting closer to the, that 
that unknown, that that wide open, that universal, that deep connectivity. Um, it, it, even the small move towards it, um, it is so profound and moving and, and worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, you you spoke earlier about giving a like giving space for for failure. You know what what was the biggest failure? I shouldn't even say the biggest failure, but what failure was so pivotal to where you are today? And I and I ask it because I think we need. I think one should reframe these this idea of failure. Um, it's not something that you know you lose, but it is some. It's a it's a guiding principle. You know, it it puts you on a different path. So, what was that for you, or could you speak to one? I don't know that I. I don't. There's so many challenges that I learn from um, that I don't know that there is one, and I don't mm. know that. I, I mean, I, I think again. I count. I count myself lucky that. Um, that I that I've experienced very I've experienced few challenges that have made me walk away from uh, this path as as an artist. Lord, no, I mean, actually, it's the <laughs> the the things that people would count as 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 um, triumphs that have been like, okay, I think I might want to you know go garden now um, because because I don't have the and again it's just it's it's about growing up where i grew up i don't have the kind of um put down the stop mix that comes with um like fa- failing f- failing t- failing better is what we do right <laughs> like it's like oh yeah that didn't work all right now i'm even more intrigued to figure out what does and now I'm even more um, excited to to look towards something else, or like now I'm more now I'm now I know more. Now I'm I've gained more. I will say that I worked on I worked on some projects where I I witnessed, um, reported, engaged, tried to come between some blatant like racism and. Um, and misogyny and at the time didn't have enough tools to really understand like oh actually you know the way to do this is to disengage completely right i i tried to work within the system to fix the thing and go no if i call this out if i go to the right you know to send this to all the right channels this will work out um and i should have known better I should have known better. And that has less to do with like sort of artistic failings, but more it's just a human being going, yeah, you, you, we, we have to realize that this systemic violence is not, um, is not set up on accident, right? It's purposeful. Mm. It works. It works to sustain itself. Um, and I, and I keep, uh, and oftentimes I, you know, you asked this question before, but I oftentimes wonder like if we didn't spend we black people didn't spend as much time have to spend because we have to um if we didn't have to spend so much time work working out in our head how to live in this system and and survive it you know what space would be left for us to imagine the other thing i mean look at what we create while we still navigate a system trying to kill us right 
So you would imagine that the brain, because the brain has to be taken up by that, right? We have to, there's part of our brain always working on figure, making sure we survive these uh, environments. Um, and then we're asked to do, you know, to be creative or to, you know, get the job done. And so, you know, the world, we can look around the world and see artists who've created music, artists who've created, you know, um, uh, films, art, or people, scientists who've still had the room to create other things, even in the middle of all of this. Um, but God, what a world would it be if we had, if we didn't have to be thinking about that all the time? Um, and I just don't know, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> what that even looks like. But I, I do know, um, I do know that there have been moments in my life where I should, I should have um, handled things in other ways, um, or at least um, not even should have handled it in other ways, because I needed to handle it that way to know that it didn't work, right? I needed to know like, oh yeah, that, uh, that doesn't work. Um, and now I'm sort of inked in this way of going, oh yeah, you have to, when you, when you see that, when you, you have to completely either shut it down completely or, um, and when I say shut down, I mean like disengage, like don't work. Um, you know, we, I was working with an actor who, you know, repeatedly would not um, listen to me because they felt like I didn't understand Shakespeare um, and only would take the same notes that I was giving from uh, a voice director who was white. And I would just give the, the notes to the white voice director and they would give the actor the note and then they would take the note or come back and say to me, oh, this was an amazing note that this voice director gave to me. And I just sort of, instantly should have been like you know what this is this this isn't this has to stop like this has to end um but there have been things like that and that makes me it makes me really um it makes me really um vigilant more vigilant um and ha and i have been since those 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 times those challenges gotten even more you know um exact at just going no i can't i'm not here to fix your systemic problems <laughs> um you you have to um and i and i can you know uh -uh. and i will keep those violences away from those who are most harmed as best i can yeah that's that's so funny that you say that um on an earlier episode i had the artist renee cox and she was speaking about she has a friend in panama who's a developer and he's black and just talking about internalized anti-blackness and they were like we should just start an agency called rent a white person and you can just rent a white person to like give orders like for your construction jobs or if there's something you wanted to get done just just rent a white person because the black people because we just respond you know d differently um and even this 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 current moment that we're in you know i call it black lives matter part two um you know i think is is necessary but also, I'm I'm looking for the the antithesis, which is using all of that energy to towards black people, you know, and and letting black people know that their lives matter. And what does it look like when we as a people are 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 imbued with with, with an agency and a sense of self worth? You know, I think there would be less lives lost. But I, I want to like hop into some. Unless, do you want to speak to that? Oh, um, I think, you know, there are, uh, what I've been most proud of is that the, uh, you know, I, 
I, I get to call them young people because they're you know about 20 years younger than me um, now. But I think the I've been most proud about the young people is that they they this kind of care and nurturing of each other um, in this in this you know uh, wave and crest of um, of protest against protest and outrage against the system that keeps coming back um, and that they keep finding energy for one they've sustained it in a way that I, I just find. Um, deeply powerful and moving and 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 continue to try to support them in ways that I can um, and then you know um, I also find that they are finding amazing ways of of, of doing that kind of self-care and uh, and I don't mean self-care in 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 the personal I mean in the social you mm -hmm. know they I, I in the tweets that they send in the Instagrams that they send they there's there's this movement towards making sure that folks are getting um, more health care in ways that they hadn't before. Um, literally, you know, there's so many young people who are turning towards um, ways of even just nurturing nu nutrients that weren't that you know when I was their age and when you know even even on the earth you know when I was in my early 30s, um, late 20s, and we were out protesting we didn't talk about, right? But like people are making sure that that um, protesting in sustainable ways for the for the planet. I mean, this just, there's something so beautiful about the way that um, these young black people are taking care of themselves and their, and their community. Um, and, and while still being, uh, bringing the outrage, the frustration to the doors of the places that, um, that have not heard and listened. Um, so there's been some, to me, there's something so, um, there's something to, as uh, a pastor might say, something to shout about, because these young folks are um, finding ways to nurture um, blackness and nurture and, and uplift it and, cre you know, create, create ways. Now, we can always do better. We can always love ourselves better. We can always love better. Um, and there's a lot of ways in which, but, you know, I, I it was my students who, who put me on to, um, uh, a bell hooks book called uh uh all about love new visions and um and, and they were all reading it right they were in order to find ways to use a love ethic to nurture themselves while also vehemently uh disparaging and taking apart um systemic racism and and oppression and i think that's that's thrilling to me um i'm excited about that I, I wholeheartedly um, agree. Um, I wanted to shift to the idea of, of names and mythology. Um, I know mythology is something that you look to uh, in your work and you know in Moonlight there was Sharon, um, in uh, Choir Boy there's you know this name Ferris. Am I saying that right, Ferris? Um, you know these really powerful names and Sharon I know coming directly from mythology um, what role does mythology play in your thinking um, and also speak to the power of naming yourself so I think there's a lot of um, you know I think uh, I think a lot of um, education a lot of things that education gets right is that 
we learn best when we pass down stories. So, you know, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, a school in, um, in DC that has restorative justice at its core and its center. Um, and one of the teachers was trying to teach a math problem and, and you know, a student was struggling um, and sort of pushed the, the sort of numbers away and sort of told a story, right? If, if you have this, and I take that, how much do you have left, right? Um, and I think a lot of us understand more, understand the world by stories. And so that's what all of, you know, religion, history, mythology, as some people call it, cosmology um, is about, is really trying to put some order around the world that we live in through these ideas of stories. Um, and from a very young age, again, I was exposed to a lot of those stories. So one of one of the first ballets, quote unquote, that I saw, um, uh, and I say quote unquote because I call it, we call them ballets because that it was a contemporary dance. At the same time, it was a dance based on traditional African um, Afro Yoruba um, cosmology, and you know it was this dance of Oya. Um, and and Shango's you know wives and the stories of you know the ghosts that he was afraid of and and, and seeing that ballet it also reminded me like oh I know someone like Shango in my my neighborhood right I know someone like like that person and so there's these names and these names these roles these archetypes these journeys that continue to happen cyclically with us and um, and they may gain they may gain details and and or and uh, ornamentation based on uh, where, they, where they're set. Um, the first, again, the first work that I created, um, or some of the first works that I created next to each other was when I did in Moonlight, and, um, and I named uh, the central character Kirone after the Greek uh, centaur who was the wounded healer. And then, you know, I wrote this play called Caught, later, later to be called The Brother Size. Um, but based on a Yoruba Ifa, and all of the characters are Ogun, Otrusi, and Alegba. Um, and it was more so because in the world, I, I, I knew those people, and I knew the characteristics that, that came with, the, with those names, right? Um, one who is wounded, but also a healer. Um, but Ogun, who is a warrior, um, who works to find his brother. Ochusi, who is a wanderer. Alegba, who is a trickster. Um, and 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 possesses both good and evil, right? So we know we know those people. You say those things, and you know who they are in your life. Um, and and their stories um, were were helping me to carve out my life. And more than more than anything, that was what was important about those names and important about those mythologies or cosmologies is that they help you or helped me identify. Um, how I'm part of a legacy of 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 um, of these challenges, um, and how I could frame them and look at them and see myself in them and and out of them and and through them. Um, so that was always what was important to me in terms of the in terms of naming and even even with Fer Ferris, who is um, at once um, a nod to. Um, the light of Pharos, like the light of Alexandria, but also um, Ferris Bueller, who is this kid who is really smart and can get through. I mean, the American understanding of 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 mischief, good mischief, right? Um, and 
and how that that person can be a light bringer, a person in the middle of of uh, uh, of a storm who's bringing severe light, but also be thought of as something that should be torn down. Um, and and that is that's true of Ferris's story um, that both people praised and loved that he could you know sort of call out in a storm and 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 people would see him, um, but also because of that um, that same because of that same power he he was felt to be destroyed and then you know um, and David makes man he's named after David because David is called to do something and only only via his his ability to imagine can he face the world right um so it's important to lock into the ways you know the ways in which we tell have told stories on earth um and the ways in which they um allow us to dig deeper into our journey of of trying to again nod at the unknowable while you know shaping what we do know I love this concept of the wounded healer. Like, I want to drill down on that just, you know, a bit. Uh, what do you feel the wound allows for or perhaps maybe unlocks that then can be transmuted to a healing power? Empathy. Hmm. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if you too have been wounded you know you know why it is necessary to heal mm, mm. i love well thank you that was that was perfect concise um and what advice would you give to young writers um or maybe not even young writers <laughs> writers who want to write and are, are struggling perhaps um you know i i you know I give so much advice all the time. Sometimes I'm just like, I, I really, just, <laughs> I think I, I always say to them that, you know, I, to my students particularly, and I, and I, one of the joys of my life is teaching is that I learn so much from them. And that in, you know, that in a part of why it's important for me to teach is less about trying to impart some knowledge that I think I have, but to point out what they're doing that is of consequence. Right, they're, they're, what they're doing that is unique and compelling, and try to get them to to own those things and to and to and to continue to nurture those things about themselves. Um, and so, you know, and so I will say, I, I I say that to folks anywhere. It's like there's moments that you have to be still enough in what you're doing to recognize when you are doing what's right for you and your and your work and your path be it writing or being anything. Um, but also because because loudly, right, we are often taught to listen to the critic in our head, right? And often that voice is a person filled with fear and 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 uh, guilt and resentment. Um, and that and it's okay to hear it, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to um, the voices that try to help you with discernment. At the same time, you've got to also be clear of why you're, of of why what drew drew you to the page, what drew you to the the, the screen, what drew you to the, the the canvas, what drew you to the marble, and if you can be clear about that, more times than you are about the the parts that are trying to censor you, um, 
that is the practice, right? That's the, that's, that's the alchemy, trying to get as clear, trying to have that happen 80, 20, right? Trying to have the voice that is light guiding you towards the work and, and the joy and the light of it to be there more than. And of course there are days where you're like, nah, I'm 20, I'm, I'm, I'm 80, 20 in the opposite today. I don't wanna do, I don't wanna do nothing. I don't, I'm, I don't feel like doing nothing. I, everything's miserable, everything's awful. And that's probably a good time to rest, right? Um, but it takes practice. It takes a practice of making sure that you are well enough. Um, you are inside of yourself and inside of the, 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 the process enough to go, oh, no, I, I've got the energy. I've got the 60-40 today that I can do the work and, and also keep at bay enough. Um, the feelings of critique, the feelings of this isn't good enough or worthy. Um, but it does take practice. It does take practice. And more often than not for black folks, it's, it's the opportunity to practice that we, we, we lack. We don't get the opportunity to practice as much as, as most folks. Um, I remember being in the UK and my black uh, friends who were in uh, theater or interested in theater um, or interested in acting because they, they just had more chances to practice, right? They have, a, they're not, they're not in a system where, um, uh, well, they, I shouldn't say they have more chances to practice. They had more chances to practice than some of my friends in the, in the States because my friends in the States would be auditioning, auditioning, trying to, whereas like I had friends who would go and be in the, you know, Royal Shakespeare Company, company for a two year, three year stay. And then they would, you know, get, they would get out of it and have to be, you know, on furlough for a while. And they would be on what they call assistant living or the dole. Right, and that wasn't a, that wasn't like looked down upon. It was all right to take money from the state in between jobs, um, and and there were just more opportunities to do things. Yeah, no, you weren't on you know television every day, or you weren't in a film every day. There was a lot of places where you could continue bouncing around in, in roles um, until you got a lot of practice. And whereas you know that thrive, you know that kind of thriving. Um, ability to continue to practice doesn't exist here. And so people have to grind a lot harder um, and they get less chances at, uh, at practicing. What, what is the world that you imagine? Like, what is the future you imagine? You know, I don't. And I, and I, and I think that's the scary part. I mean, when, when people say the future, they usually mean about 20 years from now. And that's, I have no idea. I, I do. I do that kind of incremental five-year uh, uh, thinking. Um, I'll take and five. Of, and well, a lot of that has to do with you know, um, wishfully thinking that you know, I, again, just based on what's happening, I, I find myself thinking, wow, there's going to be a moment where people really look at the interiority. Um, black people really look at the interiority of themselves and, and find it so necessary to to focus there, right? Um, because our output in this country has been so massive. Um, I think there's a shift, a real shift happening that's saying, oh no, we gotta, there's some inner work connectivity that we have to do um, and, it need, and it needs a step, right? Um, and, I, and that again is mostly cues from you know the the young folks 
they they really are taking time i mean i've never seen people the way they vacation you know what i mean the way they they the way they go on these kind of like hey we're gonna go on we're gonna go hiking i remember when i was a kid and i like if you said to another black kid we're gonna go on a hike they'd be like what (laughs) like hiking was not you know that was what white people did right um but the kind of in tuneness with nature, the kind of uh, you know need to be connected into something deeper, um, and and finding those with 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 it via freedom rather than in restriction, right? Rather than sort of chained down to kind of doctrine or specific religion, I see them finding you know this kind of spiritual connection and other really beautiful and and different ways that i think our ancestors uh will be proud of um so i imagine that for sure Um, but i don't know if there will be any flying cars or (laughs) (laughs) and i'm I'm more interested in i'm actually more interested in what the people who are born out of you know without the kind of restrictions or anti-black or systematic uh governance that i grew up in I, i wonder what they think I, w- I want to live in the future that they imagine, right? Mm. And you've r- you've written for 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 film and and stage and television. What does each medium like allow for? Um, what do you mean by that? Meaning, uh, so you know, so for me as as an artist, like you know, a, a photographer, I direct fashion shows, I. Right, I do these things, and each one allows us a different kind of access to myself and to storytelling. And so, those differences between stage and film and television—what, like, what does each allow for? For example, like in *David Makes Man*, which I loved, and you can do this in film as well. There is such a, a hyper-realness, a surrealism, and also this fierce repetition of a story a, a way to extend it much longer um and so that's that's why i ask yeah i don't know that i i don't know that i think i will tell you this which is probably cheating i i, I mostly engage the work that i do for community um it, it it really is a I I I try to find and and the things you see aren't necessarily all the things we we work on. So there's a group of people, um, a group of community that I work on a lot of things with, and sometimes that never makes it to the stage or the screen or the you know or the um, or, or the stream, right? That there's there's musicals I've worked on. There's um, and I say that not to say like oh. I wish all of them had come to fruition. Some of them are very glad that they didn't. Um, well, because they just weren't ready or they, or they were interesting in, in conception. Um, and then on, uh, you know, on further, you kind of go, no, nah, that's not quite right yet. Or that's not actually where we want to go. That, that's good because it got us to another place, right? Um, but, you know, working with the people I've worked with, um, you know, uh, with Dominique Morisou and, and Katori Hall and um, Andre Holland, Sterling Brown, um, uh, Brian T. Henry, like that, which is just, again, scratching the surface of a big, deep, rich community of folks. That's what I really 
that's what it really affords. It affords me because I can work in all of those avenues. It means I can work with all those people. Mm -hmm. um, and we can work and, and we can give the story what, you know, the best that we have currently, you know, maybe there'll be a new medium that comes along and we go, Oh, cool. Now there's something else. But currently we can say to whatever story or whatever experience that we're after, Hey, here is, you know, this, this isn't actually a play. This is a TV show. Or this isn't actually a musical. It's an opera. And the, you know, and that just allows us choice. And there's something like freedom to be able to move with your community to those different places. Um, it's not exact freedom, but there's some, but you know, it's what we're all chasing. We're all trying to get free. Amen. Well, brother, I want to respect your time. I know you have to run. Um, I just want to just first acknowledge you and thank you for spending time with us today. Um, and also just, you know, just showing up and, and pushing and, you know, and even in the process of trying to control an ever shifting landscape around you, um, you've gifted us with such honesty um, and have projected us in places in which we can see ourselves reflected in a place of beauty um, at whatever level we can interact with your work. Um, and so I really thank you for that. It is a gift. And I personally really, really, really appreciate it. And you've stolen a lot of my time watching David Makes Man. I just, you just blew right a whole, a whole weekend, just gone. Um, oh, no, no, I really, really appreciate you. Um, could you let us know where people can connect with you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, where, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I think I'm on definitely on Instagram. Um, What's your Instagram? It's O C T A R E L L Octarell. Um, and I, and that's just, actually, I'm the same on Twitter. So, okay. Boom. Yeah. There you have it, brother. You have a beautiful, beautiful time down in Miami. I'm, you look really air conditioned because I know you're in Miami and you're wearing like a sweater. So, yeah, it's raining like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, stay safe as safe as you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, brother. Have a good one. Take care. Ciao. Thank you all so much for tuning into this in-depth conversation with the one, the only Terrell Alvin McCraney. Oh, and if you haven't checked out his show, David Makes Man on OWN, block out a weekend, buckle up, and enjoy. You'll thank me later. Send this episode to one friend you think would benefit from this conversation, maybe one who's struggling to find their own voice. And as always, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, shout us out over on Instagram at Black Imagination Podcast, and we're on Twitter now, at Black Imagination, B-L-K Imagination. Tweet some of your favorite quotes, and let's continue the conversation over there with the hashtag ProcessingThePod. And if you're able to drop a few coins to support this work, please click the support link in the show notes. If you don't see yourself in the world around you, why not write yourself into the story? Black imagination is liberation. Stay curious and keep dreaming.